0: And welcome to About Progress, a podcast devoted to ordinary people who are striving to make realistic improvements in their lives and reach their goals, however big or small. We are building a community of men and women who love to push themselves to overcome obstacles and make something special of their lives, all while maintaining a healthy balance. In short, people who know life is about progress, not perfection. Welcome to today's podcast. If you've been here before, thank you for listening in again. I'm glad you're back. I hope you take a moment to subscribe so it's easy for you to find new episodes, which I air every Wednesday. Thanks to those who have also left reviews on iTunes. It means a lot to me. If this is your first time, thank you for joining in. If you like what you hear, you can access more of my podcast episodes through my archives, which I've linked in the show notes. Last week's episode with Matt Davis was on a similar topic as this week's, so that might be of special interest to you. You can also find me on my website aboutprogress.com or on Instagram and Facebook at About Progress. I'll have a short do-something for you at the end of this episode, so look for that. Let me tell you what you'll be hearing today. Becky and Kyle Jones are definitely a power couple. Both of them have dealt with depression, but Kyle primarily, in addition to anxiety, since he was a teen. As a physician, Kyle lends incredible insight to the science behind mental illness, but he also knows what it feels like to be in the trenches with it. So he shares how he fought through some really terrible times with that. Becky speaks so wisely on her own bout with depression and Mostly, how she has better aided her husband through his struggles, so it's really great to have both sides of what it is like to be a couple in this situation. They both have a lot of wisdom on this topic and are very, very interesting, so I hope you learn a lot like I did. Let's move on to the interview. Hello, I am here with Becky and Kyle Jones. Hi, guys. Hey. Hi? Monica. Not only is this our first couple interview this is we just learned we all graduated from the same high school which is a big honor if you know Davis High in <laughs> Kaysville Utah. Small world. <laughs> yes, very small world. Um I would love it if you guys could give us an introduction to who you are.
1: Yeah, so uh so my name's Kyle as you mentioned. Um I uh as you mentioned we all went to high school together. So I grew up in Farmington, Utah, which is just a little bit north of Salt Lake, um, and uh, came from a great family. Have, I'm the youngest of three, um, and had what I considered a very idyllic childhood, mm-hmm. um, with running around outside and playing sports and and uh, all that fun stuff. I um, went to uh, Utah State for undergrad, and that's actually where Becky and I started dating. We had known each other in high school, and she was actually dating my best friend At the time and uh, so we we hung out a lot and got to know each other a little bit then and then by the time we were in uh, college after a few years um, she the relationship with her and my friend had ended and so she and I started dating and got married uh, then so that was just over 14 years ago Uh, when graduating from Utah State we then moved to Wisconsin to go to medical school so I was at the Medical College of Wisconsin in Milwaukee and from there, we uh, ended up coming back home to Utah, where I did residency at the University of Utah. And um, so we live here now in Holiday, uh, just outside of Salt Lake. We have four kids, and um, and I'm a family physician up at the University of Utah.
0: Oh, that is that's a fun story, especially with the friend snippet. <laughs> that makes it of juicy. <laughs> Becky, Everyone do loves you? That. Yeah, that's a good story. Becky, do you have anything to add to that? Um, well, just a small bit about
2: me. So I um, am a speech-language pathologist by profession. Um, I stepped back from that just a little while after my oldest was born. So that was 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not. Yeah. So I, do, I do work in that field just a little bit here and there per diem. Um, and I that's do um, therapy for older adults who've had strokes um, different kinds of um, issues like that and do a lot of swallowing therapy as well. So that's wow. kind of about me. And then I'm home with our four kids, which, as you know, is a full-time job. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, four sounds like 10 to me right now.
1: <laughs> Sometimes it
2: feels that way when yeah. they have other
3: kids.
0: I bet. So that's mostly what I
2: do. And then I also uh, teach some group fitness classes now. I got into that a while back and that is kind of my hobby slash job so it's a lot of fun
0: okay well i'm already in love with you too if if i were neighbor (laughs) we were neighbors i would be there probably more than you would like but (laughs) this will have to do for the time being i'm so was so glad that you reached out to me becky because i feel like like you two have a a lot to say on a a really important topic so today we are talking about anxiety and depression And primarily this has been an issue for Kyle. Is that correct?
1: Yes, correct.
0: And Becky, as Kyle's spouse, you are obviously very important in this discussion as well. And I know that you two are also making um, presentations on this around where you live and some local congregations. So I don't know. I just feel really you to have both of your voices here on this topic. So, in order to go into it first, I want to have a little bit of a history into what this has been like for you, Kyle, and perhaps when this developed and just just the development of all of that. So if you are looking back in your life, Kyle, can you pinpoint a time when you began to struggle with either of these issues, whether it's anxiety or depression?
1: You know, I've, I've thought a lot about it and, and tried to figure out where it kind of started I don't know exactly I, looking back I would say probably around the time of of junior high high school um, I started to have a lot of anxiety and a lot of it was uh, driven by uh, wanting to please I, I I'm a big uh, I'm a big pleaser you know mm-hmm. I want people to um, to appreciate what I'm doing and so uh, it seemed like all of a sudden grades were a little more important. You know, I, um, uh, had other things going on in my life that, um, that I felt, uh, pressure that was mostly self-inflicted, um, mm-hmm. to be really good or to kind of, to, to come across as the, the ideal American kid. Um, and so looking back, I think that's where it started to begin. By the time I was in high school, I started having some physical symptoms, um, Hmm. a lot of uh, uh, abdominal and and stomach issues that started to crop up um, that eventually kind of led to um, the recognition of this as mental illness.
3: Um,
1: But uh, with with having all of these uh, issues kind of slowly building, when I was uh, 19, I went on an LDS mission mm-hmm. um, and went to Ukraine. And so it was the other side of the world. It was a new language. It was a completely different culture. It was um, all of these difficult things. And, and boy, I wanted to give it my all. I wanted to be the, the best missionary I could. And, and so a lot of this just started kind of multiplying. Like mm-hmm. it really started getting bad. Um, and it was still mainly anxiety at this point. Depression came much later. Okay. But it was, I, I felt as if I had to be perfect or my time there wasn't worthwhile and I wasn't doing any good. And it qui- kind of quickly came to the point where every, probably every three or four weeks, my body would just completely shut down and I had to stop for two days and mm-hmm. I couldn't really do anything. Um, And it was a lot of physical symptoms, it was kind of physical exhaustion, Um, and it was almost like I just needed those couple of days, once a month or so, to just kind of recuperate and then get going again. And it started getting to the point where I couldn't relax. Um, No matter what was going on, no matter, you know, if if it was something where... you know, I should be able to relax or something fun or, or whatnot. I couldn't really let go, um, and so along with that, the physical symptoms I was having were were getting worse and worse. And so when I came home um, at the age of 21, I went to the doctor a number of times trying to figure out what what was what my physical symptoms were.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so they did this big workup and didn't find anything and you know, basically said, okay, well, good luck. Hmm. And, uh, which, you know, as a physician now I can kind of understand, but still yeah. <laughs> it was frustrating.
0: That is frustrating. <laughs>
1: Um, and, uh, so I knew at that point, uh, that I wanted to become a physician. And so, um, as you can imagine, trying to get into medical school and getting all of the, the requirements that you need and all the volunteer time and, and all of those things, um, quickly kind of compiled and, um, and my anxiety seemed to worsen. And at this point, I still didn't recognize it as uh, a mental illness. I, see. I just knew that I was anxious and mm-hmm. I was struggling and this was, was hard and I had a lot of pressure, but uh, you know, didn't necessarily think of it as anything abnormal.
0: So at that um, time, there was no um, direct tie to you between your physical symptoms and what you could, there was no diagnosis, a formal diagnosis of anxiety. It was just a confusion, you know, confusing time with the physical and mental symptoms. Is that right? Or what was that like?
1: Yes, exactly. Okay. And, and, you know, from, uh, uh, again, from the perspective of a physician now, that's very common on how it starts is it's just kind of how your body is reacting to it and, mm-hmm. and is dealing with it. And, some of the uh, the effects of, of some of the hormonal changes and, and different things that are caused by stress and mental illness it very frequently comes across as physical symptoms
0: yeah so what what was the support like for for you during this this time I mean were you able to have people who who were supporting you or were were these things? That you were taking on yourself and not being open about even these physical symptoms that you were having.
1: Uh, no, I was I was very open about the physical symptoms, um, and and I do feel like I had the support around me. I still didn't quite understand what was going on, and so I didn't really reach out to the supports. and And this is about the time we got married. Um, okay. So it was uh, it was about. Uh, six months after I had returned from my mission. Um, like I said, we had known each other for years, but mm-hmm. uh, only started dating at that time. And and so the, the anxiety kind of continued to build until a few months after we had been married and I was working at uh, a group home for individuals with mental illness, um, ironically enough, and yeah. uh, had to do some night shifts And so one of those nights, in the middle of the night, I had a panic attack. And so Mm. it's, you know, this impending doom, like you really feel like you're going to die. Your heart is beating a, a mile a minute and you are sweating and it feels like everything's just kind of closing in around you and it's very difficult to deal with. And so I had this experience and at that point I... Kind of realized well first of all i I wondered if something was wrong with my heart <laughs>
3: yeah. so with,
1: with all that um, that experience but but I also kind of began to realize like okay, maybe the pressure's getting to me um, hmm. and so I went to see the doctor and he said, well, it sure sounds like you have an anxiety disorder and I thought,
3: hmm. really okay <laughs> yeah and
1: you know it wasn't I wasn't ashamed of it or anything it was just kind of like oh I hadn't considered that. Um, mm-hmm. and so he put me on some medicine and, um, things in general started to get better with that. You know, I still had the exact same, um, things going on around me in terms of the pressure putting on myself and, and preparing for medical school and whatnot. Um, and I felt like the anxiety was getting better, but I also had a lot of side effects from the medicine. And so, I see. Uh, it was kind of, a well, shoot! Do I want to keep going with this? Is it worth it? And you know, the idea of trying a different medicine it didn't necessarily occur to me. But even if it had, like you know, like many people with mental illness, there's just kind of that frustrating thing of like, okay, well, I have to start this again now, yeah. and and so that's hard, and you don't you don't necessarily want to do that.
0: Well, that's um, a risk too. Each time absolutely. we try something new,
1: absolutely. And so, um, and so, continuing on. I mean, the, so Becky, I think was she can speak to this, but I think she was kind of taken aback um, mm-hmm. as this started to happen, and um, and of course was getting really worried. And um, and Becky was in graduate school at the time, and so she had a lot of pressures on her as well, and um, and so it was. You know, it, like everyone at that time of life, it, it was difficult. There were a lot of changes, a lot of big decisions to make. And to kind of throw this in there and realize this was was difficult to come to grips with.
0: And especially as newlyweds, I mean, even if you do know someone for a long time as you guys did, those those are really precarious years. They're important years. They're the foundational years of your family. So that's a lot of stress all at once. And that transition for both of you. Becky Absolutely. I, yeah, you know Becky, I want to hear from from your perspective, what was that time like? what did what did it look like Kyle was going through? and what was your reaction to that?
2: Yeah. Um,
0: so I think every newlywed
2: couple that you know during your first year or early years, you end up learning things about each other and there's always surprises for veteran. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: But you can't can't possibly ever know a person completely, even when you're married to them. And I think it just takes some time. Um, But this was definitely a surprise. Um, Since we didn't date for very long from the time he came home from his mission, we just didn't really get into some of those um, issues. And a lot of it, like he said before, we thought were physical issues. And so in my mind, I thought, well, you know, we'll eventually figure this out. You know, maybe he'll get on some medication that will help him or you know, they thought it might be parasites from his mission. Like there were all kinds of things wow. that were going through my mind. And I was thinking it was more of a physical thing. Mm-hmm. So it never occurred to me that, you know, this might be a long-term uh, challenge or struggle that we were going to go through together And um, until, you know, the panic attack that he mentioned. And then I kind of realized this is going to be big. And it, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be a part of our life for a long time, if not forever. So in that sense, it was... It was a stressful time. And like he said, I was also in graduate school. We kind of just like to stack it all on. yeah. (laughs) We're a go big or go home kind Mm -hmm. of couple. (laughs) Um, And then we also um, became pregnant with our first baby pretty soon after that too. So during my second year of graduate school, and he was still kind of going through and dealing with a lot of these changes and trying to figure out what would work for him and help him to be able to function. And then we started moving into that next phase of life, um, with mm-hmm. having a baby. So yeah, another transition <laughs> yes. yeah. just kind of went through it one on top of the other. They were kind of busy and
0: crazy years. Well, and anyone who has had a fa- family or a friend in medical school residency, I mean, you'd never see them. It's just such a stressful, high pressure time. And is, I don't know, since you, since you started to realize early on into your your, um, training that this was more than just like a physical thing. What was medical school like for you, Kyle, and residency and those years where there is just so much pressure on both of you?
1: Initially, I kind of fell into the trap that a lot of us do where I thought, well, okay, as soon as I can get into medical school, that's going to relieve the pressure. Things are going to be a lot better. And then you know, once you're in medical school, well, okay, as soon as I'm out of school, I can get into residency and, and, you know, I'll be uh, specializing more in what I want to and and it'll be great. And and so you kind of kept falling into that trap of, okay, well, let me just get past this hurdle and then everything's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And so once uh, I started medical school, I stopped my medication because I thought, well, okay, we'll be fine. I can handle this. It'll be okay. And Within a few months, I quickly discovered no, I'm not going to be able to handle this, <laughs> yeah. and um, and thankfully, uh, the the medical community is kind of slowly coming around to this as a big problem among physicians, and so there was uh, there were mental health services through the school, and so I was able to go to a therapist and and um, I tried some different medication. Uh, because of the side effects of the first and uh, over the next few years during medical school uh, tried a couple of different medications I tried a couple of different therapists because I never really felt like I clicked with with uh, Mm -hmm. any of them obviously when you're talking about things that difficult and intimate you you know you need to have that trust and be able to create that relationship Um, And so, uh, unfortunately, I never got a lot of benefit out of therapy for that reason. That's true, I never fully felt comfortable with any of them. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, looking back, I'm honestly not quite sure how we got through (laughs) medical school and residency.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Because
1: you're right. It is incredibly (laughs) stressful and, uh, you know, it's becoming a bigger and bigger deal and much more talked about deal about how difficult – Um, and probably unnecessarily difficult medical training is, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I like to joke only half jokingly that, um, that medical training took away all my humanity and sometimes you feel like that. And Mm -hmm. so you're in the middle of it and you think, boy, you know, I really did become a physician because I thought I could make a difference and help people and I can barely function myself.
0: Mm hmm. So what, what does that look like when, well, I guess like during those years, what did that look like? That recognition of you not being able to be even functional yourself.
1: Um, during medical school, I was kind of, uh, able to, to make it through. And even though it was extremely difficult, um, from the emotional standpoint, uh, I was able to make it through once I got into residency and, the hours are a lot more and, you know, I'd work 30-hour shifts sometimes and um, and so your, sl- your sleep is constantly being thrown off and I remember in, when we would um, have rotations at this hospital that we were trained at and we had a resident room and so there was always one or two other residents in addition to me uh, there at any given time but I just remember uh, – Seeing so many different residents completely break down in there oh, and just yeah. sob and, you know, say, I can't do this. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm not I I can't go on like this. Hmm. And for whatever reason, I don't cry much. And so I didn't I don't know that I really had an emotional outlet for yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it eventually did kind of come out uh, more as as like angry outbursts. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, sometimes at Becky, sometimes at the kids, sometimes just at myself, um, and I think that was kind of the emotion that uh, that manifested because of all of this. I do, you know, I I don't know uh, if there was exactly one spot or time or whatnot that was the worst of all of it. But one day, I do remember, during my first year of residency, um, I was uh, on the, in the hospital on the inpatient service over Christmas. And so I wasn't going to be able to uh, be home for Christmas. Oh. And mm-hmm. the, the, uh, my senior resident, um, who was supervising me, uh, was able to kind of finagle things so I got Christmas Day off, which was obviously great. And I was so excited to have that day off and spend it with the kids and and with my family. And all Christmas Day, I couldn't relax and I couldn't think about anything except that tomorrow I have to go back to the hospital. And Mm -hmm. so it was like I had this great day with my family and celebrating different things and I was not able to enjoy it. And it uh, it really kind of scared me. Because I thought, oh, great, this is this is my life. You know, mm-hmm. This is what I'm going to have to deal with and put up with for the rest of my life.
0: That's not daunting at all. You know, that's, no, not at all. That's <laughs> not scary. <laughs> so, you know, what's interesting, what you said, I don't know. I think a lot of times people think of someone who might have anxiety or depression as someone who's really nervous all the time or just really timid or someone who's just really sad and in bed. Although those are both, you know, symptoms, but it manifests differently in each person. So I'm just, I'm really impressed that you would talk about how sometimes for you, it came out as anger, you know, either way it's going to come out. It's going to come out either as an emotion or a physical response. Like you said.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know sometimes both or or whatnot, and sometimes it changes and um but uh, and this was the time during residency when the depression started coming in as well mm-hmm. uh, and so it was both of those together really starting to disrupt things and and not only you know disrupt me and my training and and learning and everything, but of course absolutely disrupting the family
0: mm-hmm. Oh man. You know, I don't want, I don't want to like force you to replay, replay these hard times, but it's just, I think it helps people to understand what it looks like and what it feels like. So both from, from both of your perspectives, actually, um, what those really dark times look and feel like, can you guys both, um, speak on that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So it's, uh, it's tough to say when, mm-hmm. When I think uh, back on kind of the worst times, all I can see in my mind's eye is me in bed. You know, mm-hmm. that's
3: it. <laughs> yeah. And
1: um, part of it is that with all of the different crazy hours of of residency, um, and you know, you're you're tired because things are constantly being shifted, and you have all this pressure to to learn and take care of patients, and the teaching environment is um, is oftentimes a kind of a bullying type style,
3: hmm.
1: and so you're, all of these things contribute, so you can't think straight, but if you don't think straight, you're going to kill people, and so you, I take that home, and I can't let go of that feeling, and I'm so tired, it's just that, you know what, I don't want to see the family, I just want to sleep, mm-hmm. and so... Um, I don't even know how much I slept or how often that actually happened, but it, in my mind, that's what, what I see is Mm -hmm. that, okay, completely shutting myself off and I'm just going to, you know, sleep, I guess was kind of the way of, uh, forgetting or ignoring or just avoiding the problem.
0: And what about you, Becky, from your perspective, what were those times like? Well,
2: I was just thinking how, um, looking back, how ill-equipped I was to deal with a lot of these issues as they came,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, I came from a family where like a lot of really hard working, good people, um, pretty decent mental health. And it wasn't something that we really talked about. I didn't have any family members who suffered with any of these things. It, we were kind of, were like a pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of family and
3: mm-hmm.
2: get it done, you know, Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of the, um, attitude. And so I remember just kind of being a little bit, um, I don't know, a little overwhelmed by trying to understand and deal with what he was going through. Um, And just, you know, just trying to wrap my head around it, because I had such a hard time just understanding what that would be like. It's not something that I am familiar with. And then as that was all happening to be going through, you know, my own struggles, we had our first baby, he was extremely colicky and didn't sleep. And was just really really hard. Yeah. <laughs> He's wonderful. He's wonderful now. He's turned into. <laughs> a human. Thank goodness. Yeah, you put in your yeah. you put in your time. Exactly. It was tough and then, you know, I was doing a clinical fellowship at the time, so I was working um and we had just moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, far far away from our family. Mm. Uh, and as far as like the dark times that you were saying or, you know, the kind of rock bottom time Kyle was talking about, I feel like I kind of got pulled down into that a little bit because I think there was a a fair amount of guilt. And I think a lot of um, family and, you know, loved ones of people who suffer with anxiety and depression do kind of carry some guilt about it because, you know, in some ways I felt like, you know, I'm his wife. I should be able to help him. I should be able to provide him with like a feeling of happiness and security. And, you know, we kind of feel like, and, and maybe it's a, a, characteristic of of women too we kind of try to be fixers and try to you know take care of our family and I think that guilt um, did get to me a little bit during that time and then that coupled with the sleep deprivation and the stress I kind of got into a little bit of a, a depression and I think it was more of a postpartum situation because mm-hmm. we just had our second baby yeah. but we were in Wisconsin where it's dark <laughs> and cold yeah. and we live in tiny apartment that grew mold in the closets, oh, it was Terrible. but I remember, you know, looking back and I, I just had never been in that place before. Nothing in life had pushed me to that point. And so I didn't really know where my breaking point was, but I definitely hit it at that point. And I, um, really did suffer from depression and I didn't get treated and I, mm-hmm. because I didn't realize that's what it was. I didn't have a lot of people there to recognize it in me. Mm hmm and so I remember a specific time when he had been gone for several days and then he would come home and sleep for a few hours in the day and then leave again for all night. And I was just feeling, you know, how you get when you just haven't had a break and you just desperately need one. Yeah. And I just remember sitting down on the floor. I had one kid in a high chair and one kid playing on the floor and I just sat down on the floor and just was crying and kind of just yelling out loud. I can't do this anymore. And, um, mm. My coping mechanism at the time, which was bizarre, I don't know why, but I just started kind of hitting my head a little bit on the wall, and it took away some of that frustration and stress. Um, and I know that's something that happens with people when they get into an anxious situation, but um, it really scared me. And when Kyle came home, I just said, this is what happened to me. I, I don't know what's happening to me. Mm-hmm. And I think it was just the combination of the stress with what he was going through and trying to keep the family together um you know it really is a stressful uh training going through medical school whether you're the person going through the training or whether you're the family at home that's you know being on the supporting end but yes it was it was a dark time for us for sure
0: so there's that common thread you know it's gonna come out even if that you know somehow your body knows your body knows What's going on with your mind? And I, I don't know. It just seems like that's a common thing for a lot of people. It somehow manifests itself. Whether it is you taking it out on your body, or mm-hmm. your body taking it out on you. Yes, I, either way. Yeah, I think that's true for sure. You know, maybe Kyle. Maybe can you speak on that as a physician? I don't know. Can you? Sp- you are a, a family physician, so I'm sure you see this in your practice as well. But both in your training and what you see, can you speak on depression, anxiety and and how that can manifest and and talk about it being more of a mental illness versus someone just choosing to be sad?
1: Yeah, it's uh, and I think from my experience, what I've seen, it's often very similar to kind of what I experienced myself, where it's going to be physical symptoms that you're having and and so the person's coming in to try to figure out these symptoms and as you try to as you start to work through things there are definitely some patterns that stick out if it's uh, more of a mental illness and then the the physical repercussions from that and a lot of people don't they don't want to believe that they have a mental illness yeah. um, and part of it's shame and part of it's denial and Obviously, there's there's a stigma out there, which I think is getting better, but still absolutely exists. Uh-huh. And you know, I we talk about it very plainly with them, and I'll say, you know, this isn't something you chose. This is this is uh, a disease that your body has, and it's like having diabetes or you know high blood pressure or whatever it is. This is not something that. Uh, that you feel guilty about just because well I can't pull myself up and make myself go do these things you can't because this is a real disease and um and and it's interesting because you know obviously everyone kind of feels better hearing that because then it's like okay well it's not as if I'm choosing this it's not that I'm going crazy yeah that's um,
0: got to be a relief
1: yeah but then but then that also leads to they're more willing to accept it in themselves. They're usually more willing to I seek see. treatment. Mm-hmm. They're more willing to talk about it. Um, and so, you know, you really kind of have to have that understanding in order to uh, truly have the healing process take place. Um, and and being able to recognize, hey, it's okay. It's not that I am morally weak, and that's why I'm struggling. It's because I actually have a disease.
0: So let's, get, let's go back to that time. You both are going through th- these really tough times, both individually and together. How did you guys dig yourself out of that? And I'm, I'm sure it was a very long process, but can you go into that a little bit?
1: You know, I'm honestly not sure. Yeah. <laughs> we were kind of thinking about this late, or recently about well, how did we get out of that? Part of it was it was almost just waiting it out in that. Well, hey, kind of falling into that trap of I mentioned before, like, well, residency is going to end and then things will be better because Mm -hmm. then we won't have the the physical stress and demands and the mental and emotional demands will be less and we'll finally be making more money. So financial stressors won't be as big a deal. And so it was almost like we were kind of trying to just get through and think, okay, if we can just make it to the end of residency We'll be okay. And of course, once we reached that, in some ways things did get better because I was sleeping regularly and, you know, different things like that. We were able to get a little bit more normalcy in our lives, but it was still a big problem. And so after having been in practice for one or two years, I finally said, you know, I've been on the same medicine for eight or nine years and I'm not where I need to be. Mm-hmm. I, I need to go back and we need to try something different. Um, and so I went and saw a new psychiatrist and she kind of came at it from a new perspective um, and said, well, I think it might be more like this. And and so we tried some different medications, which, of course, going through the process of starting them is always very difficult and, mm-hmm. and frustrating, like I mentioned, but uh, really has made a big difference. And... I think has really led to uh, me personally being able to dig out of it more. But then there's also not that negative cloud that I was constantly bringing to the family. And so, you know, I don't lash out in anger as much as I used to and different things like that, where I'm able to relax a little bit more and, and have fun with the kids and, you know, do things like that. And so uh, from that perspective, at least for me, I think that's, helped dig out.
0: It's important to note that for people that recovery is oftentimes so gradual that it's not something you can necessarily pinpoint, well, this is the day that things really, you know, took off in my recovery. It's not usually like that. And I and I'm glad that you would speak on that, being just a really gradual process. What about you, Becky?
2: Um I think for me I just had to first of all extricate myself from the guilt of feeling like I could make a difference and change or, you know, make him better, I guess is, is the way to say it. I think, um, as soon as I kind of let go of that and realized that I need to deal with me first and then I can, you know, focus on him. Um, so I just really kind of started searching for what to do and how to improve my life. And I was brought to, um, Exercise for one thing. I hadn't been getting very regular exercise because of the weather and because of the kids. Yeah. So I found a local YMCA, um, which in Wisconsin and I they're probably this way in California where you are as well, but they have the health and fitness variety of the YMCA. Um, they don't offer those in Utah, but they had a great uh, fitness program and group fitness, and I ended up just kind of going to a class one day and. They had really uh, discounted memberships for students um, at the time. And so I was able to go and leave the kids at the daycare there for an hour and get my exercise in. Um, And for me, that was a huge part of pulling myself out
3: Hmm. of where
2: I was. Um, And then as my babies got a little bit older, the first, the boys, the first two, and I started sleeping better, those two things combined. really, really kind of pulled me out. And it wasn't just the exercise. It was getting involved in my community there and meeting other people in my same situation and just having, um, contact. People are very important to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've learned over the years that having, um, friendships and, you know, just talking with people is one thing that keeps me in a good place mentally and physically too. I just feel like I feel better if I'm involved. So those two for me, and then just kind of, you know, realizing that I wasn't, it wasn't my responsibility to fix Kyle or to help, you know, he kind of had to work through it on his own. And that kind of got us through that stretch.
0: And I'm, I'm hearing you guys talk about how a lot of the difficulties behind those, especially dark times are those, those obstacles of feeling guilt and shame. And you said denial was another thing too. And so I hear you, Becky, saying that your way to combat those things um, was connection for one with other people, Mm -hmm. fixing yourself, focusing on yourself, putting that mask on for you before you helped others. Like they say, the flight attendants say, and you know, it seems like those are good ways. Or are there other things that come to mind for both of you of how you were able to push against the guilt, shame, feelings that often drive people to more secrecy and, and that, you know, makes the cycle even worse?
2: I think just being open with each other and saying, I feel guilt about this, or I feel ashamed of this. I think You know, it's funny that sometimes I think the people that we have the hardest time being the most candidly honest with are the people that we're closest to because somehow we feel maybe a little bit vulnerable in doing so or we just haven't practiced doing it. And I think that open line of communication of just saying what we mean instead of expecting the other person to figure it out or, you know guess what, what we might be thinking or feeling I think sometimes just putting it out on the table and saying this is what I'm feeling that almost empowers you just to acknowledge and say say it out loud and
0: and you know tell each other I totally agree with that what What about you Kyle do you have anything to speak about that
1: um I I agreed that with Becky it's and I felt at the time, that we were good communicators with each other. Looking back, I really don't think we were, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> or at least not as good as I thought we were. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to express that of what you really are feeling. I, I, we have a neighbor down the street who's a friend of ours who suffers from depression. And uh, I had never thought of it like this until he put it this way. And he says, you know, there are those days where you wake up and you're so depressed you can't get out of bed, but everyone thinks that you're in there sleeping, but really what you're doing is you're in there just wallowing in your own guilt and uh. um, and it's you know guilt is such a big component of depression and anxiety it It's one of the you know the the hallmarks of of the diagnosis and so almost to recognize that guilt and try to work through all right, what, what what can I do to get through this today? And today it might be not as much as I can do tomorrow or vice versa, uh, but what is something I can do to combat that right now? And sometimes it means just getting out of bed and coming out and sitting at the table with the family or you know whatever it is. Um, sometimes it's just those small steps, but recognizing, okay, there's got to be something I can do um, to help help myself and help those around me to kind of move around this right now.
0: It seems like you both are proactive about trying to counteract those feelings, too, and it's figuring out what what works. You know, there's a lot of trial and error in that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's one of those things where it's uh, it seems kind of silly, but... I don't want to have depression. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't want to have anxiety. Yeah, um, and so, you know, trying to figure out, okay, well, what's gonna, what's gonna work to to help get around this, and sometimes it's just so easy to say, well, yeah, I don't want to have it, but there's nothing I can do about it, so I'm just gonna kind of give in for now.
0: Yeah, I, I had a guest on. Um probably a month ago by the time this airs, Dr. Finlayson Fife. And she just talks about, she turn, she likes to turn things on their head a little bit. And, and I don't know, she, the way she talks about how we can often indulge in the way we frame our own issues um, and it's how, it's how it really is just a, an immature behavior. You know, the way she says it, you're like, oh, wow, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> realize that you're right. That is indulging in an immature behavior. But uh, the way you guys are both talking about this is, yeah, sure. You don't want to have these issues, but, but and one and owning them and then two and being open about them and then three being proactive about how to deal with them. That's not being indulgent. That's, that's being proactive and that's dealing with this in a a way that's actually going to lead to helping yourself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then being able to, you know, once we've kind of, um, are improving within ourselves, then obviously our family does a lot better because then we're reaching out to each other more and the relationships we have with each other and our kids and, and everyone else starts to improve as well.
0: And I want to know, what do you think is the connection for cognitive therapy? So both as you are, you're essentially a physician and a client or, I'm sorry, a physician and a patient. (laughs) <laughs> you yeah. know, you, you have both sides of this. So how can cognitive therapy come into play for people in in um, getting the correct help in addition to medication?
1: I think the first thing is to help people understand that therapy isn't just paying someone to listen to you, because that's usually what, uh, what it, they think it is. And so we'll say, well, why do I have to pay them, pay a therapist to listen to me when I can go talk to my neighbor or I can go talk to my friend or whatever. Um, But, but like you say, cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT um, is a specific structured type of therapy that you go and, and it helps you to kind of reframe how you're approaching different issues. Um, We know from medical research that uh, therapy alone helps. We know that medication alone helps. But we know that the best thing is to have both of those.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And so, um, you know, even like I mentioned, I I had I struggled to connect with various therapists. Uh, I basically kept trying it, you know, and I've had, I don't know, five or six therapists over the years because I knew that I needed that element of it. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, obviously the medication takes care of the physiologic portion. and then the therapy kind of helps you to better understand it and know how to deal with it or how to address it in your own life. And so they really kind of come at it from different angles, but are both so important to uh, to really addressing the underlying issues.
0: And you know what's interesting about both of those, there is once again those stigmas and shame associated with both of those. You know that I think is really important to. <laughs> To, to combat, or else you're you're just not going to get better it, it's 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 sad that that shame is is there for both of those, but I mean that's the only way around it
1: absolutely and you know i i it seems so with uh having gone through all of this and and dealing with it both from like you say from the perspective of a patient as well as a physician, um, you know we in Trying to help people, I've worked on both kind of the, the general population stigma of trying to uh, be okay with it and, and understand that it's okay, but also the stigma among physicians, which I think is even worse than the stigma that we see uh, generally because, hey, I'm the physician, I'm supposed to be Superman, I can deal with this, I don't need your help, I'm fine. And so really helping physicians to recognize this and say, hey, you know what, you're not doing any service to your patients if you are not being taken care of yourself.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And really the biggest thing that I try to help people know and understand is it's okay. You know what, it's okay if you have this, that's all right. And it's not as if you have to go talk to everybody about it But you have to recognize it in yourself and be willing to seek treatment. Otherwise, you're going to keep suffering and those around you are going to keep suffering too.
0: So when did you become open about this, both, you know, within your own personal families, but also professionally? And then how have you been able to integrate integrate that into the work that you are doing? You're saying you, you advocate for patients, but you also advocate for physicians as well.
1: So I think at least among family and friends, uh, as soon as I received the diagnosis, I was very open about it. Um, and said, Hey, I recently had this, you know, diagnosis. I'm trying to get through it. Um, you know, just wanted you to know kind of a thing. Um, and so uh, for whatever reason, it never bothered me that it, I never felt ashamed of it with, um, I mean. with dealing with it in, in my profession, I mean, I remember talking about it a lot with various colleagues and um, my attending physicians and whatnot during residency um, about uh, having some of the issues. Then, uh, once I was in practice, I I enjoy writing a lot, and so I I do a lot of of blogging or writing essays, and and most of it nonfiction, um, but. I started writing regularly for this blog for the American Academy of family physicians and it's aimed at new physicians. And so I thought, well, shoot, so many of us are struggling with mental illness. I'm going to write about my experience um, and kind of see what happens. And so I did and it had this huge reception and, you know, was, was picked up on all sorts of medical websites and, um, It was one of those things where some people, once they read it, it was kind of like you take, you you just kind of take a deep breath and say, okay, he, he's a doctor. He has it. That's all right. You know, and so all of a sudden you kind of can, can let go and allow yourself to have that. And so since then it's, it's been a lot through writing. It's been a lot through, um, uh, the teaching that I do. So I, I'm. Uh, a faculty at the University of Utah School of Medicine. So I teach residents and medical students and being open with them about the issues um, and helping them understand that as well. That's become a much bigger emphasis for us as a program um, as well as for me personally. And the the biggest thing was when that initial um, post went out about my story And a friend of mine in residency who is a year behind me uh, read it and he came up to me and uh, kind of came into the office, closed the door, and he said, look, I don't know how this is being received. I don't know what's going on or anything. If anybody likes it, he said, but you helped me recognize that I have depression and that I need some medication. So if nothing else… I want you to know that it's helped me Mm -hmm. and so you know just just having that where it was like wow this this really does make a difference just sharing what i've experienced and gone through and whatnot it really does just allow people to to be okay with having an illness that's all right it's not again it's not a moral failing it's a physical illness and that's okay
0: Well, for one, I just, I'm so impressed that you were able to be so open with it. And, and two, I, I'm just thinking about not only are you changing these, you know, within your own clients or sorry, I keep saying that within your own patients, (laughs) with your own family and friends, you are changing their lives, but in, in training physicians, you're changing their lives and all their patients and their families. I mean, this stems out everywhere. It's, it's really incredible. I'm really Proud of you. I don't know you personally until today, but I mean, I'm super proud of you. And Becky, maybe you can tell us about some of the presentations that you have been doing together.
2: Yeah. Uh, so, um,
0: we did one with our neighborhood church group,
2: um, and Kyle did most of the talking, but there was some input from myself and then a few other um, couples in our, you know, immediate neighborhood here who also struggle with um, anxiety, depression, and you know, it's interesting, as soon as Kyle gets up and starts out, there's always this kind of like, thick feeling of awkward uncomfortableness in the room, (laughs) and you can just feel like everyone's like, breath like, (gasps) are we (laughs) gonna talk about this, you know? (laughs) And then after about 10 minutes, once he gets started, suddenly you feel it kind of melt, and you have people raising their hands saying, I have struggled with this, here's my story. I have struggled with this or I have a, a husband or a wife or a child and suddenly everyone starts wow. once you open that door everything starts pouring forth mm. and you know it's amazing how much it sometimes it just takes someone saying this is what I struggle with you know who else is out there and it gives them like he said the the ability to just let that go and and take away some of that shame and secretiveness and you know, just uncertainty of struggling with those things.
0: I have, I have two questions before um, I will let you guys go. The first one is this frame of perfectionism that I like to talk about. And I wanted to know, Kyle, you you talked about how early on as a teen and then as a young adult, um, how a lot of times your issues stem from you said self-inflicted, trying to please others, uh, this, this desire to measure up and I would say measure above, you know, you you were trying to, <clears throat> to be perfect. So how did that come in? Um, how did those two things interplay with each other? Um, looking back now, can you, can you see those, um, let me try to think how to word that. Can you, can you see how they have affected each other?
1: Yeah, it's you know looking at this from um, kind of how how we understand depression and anxiety working in our brain. It with periods of uh, kind of prolonged extreme stress, you uh, in some ways kind of end up using up a lot of the the chemicals in your brain and whatnot, and so not having enough of serotonin or the dopamine or different things. Can then kind of lead to the anxiety and the depression, and so it was almost as if trying to um, to be perfect or you know to be so successful um, was such a constant thing that uh, you know you can almost picture it as okay this constant stress that I put myself under uh, changed the way my brain functioned and um, and in terms of how these. Uh, neurochemicals are are functioning in my brain in terms of how my stress hormones work, uh, especially with it coming about at the time of adolescence. You know, that having that sense of of perfection and needing to be so good to fulfill my own expectations really changed actually my physiology and how my body functions. Um, So many people who have anxiety or depression – uh only need medication for a short period of time you know maybe 6 months to a year and that's really? all they need and they're okay and other people need it for the rest of their life mm-hmm. and part of it does kind of uh depend upon how your experience and what happened really has affected the way your brain functions
0: wow this is so interesting <laughs> i mean the, i'm learning new things and I thought I knew a lot about this stuff, but that's really, that's really interesting. Becky, when you wrote to me, you said that you are a non-perfectionist. I mean, but yet you still had these struggles as well. I wanted to know if you have some insight to that question. Yeah. So I guess the thought that's
2: coming to me as I'm listening to this happening here is that, I mean, obviously anxiety and depression aren't contagious, like, like these would be. Yeah. But at the same time, you can get kind of
0: sucked in. And I think they can I mean, be circumstantial.
2: Right. Like Kyle Kyle suffers from anxiety and depression, and then our two oldest boys also have a fair amount of anxiety that I'm helping them deal with on a daily basis. And so living with three people who struggle with this, sometimes I feel like I have to really work at it and be really diligent in making sure that I kind of keep myself in a good mental place. Mm. Do the things I need to do to make sure that I can function well and not kind of feel myself getting pulled over into that Mm -hmm. anxiety because it's there. And I think even though I'm, I tend to be more of a laid back person overall. um, But I do think that being living with people who, who struggle with this can, can affect you um, even if you don't necessarily have a tendency towards that. So you have to be aware of that and then just, you know, be careful to, do what you need to do to fulfill you and keep you um, in a place where you can have good mental health and, and stay there.
0: Oh, I'm so glad you would speak on that too. Um, my final question for you, you two, I'm, I'm thinking about back in those beginning years of your marriage, you were talking about how you had you had thought you were doing a pretty good job of communicating, but now looking back, you're seeing, Oh, wow. There were, there were some things we could have done better. So I want to know if you can, and in, in a sort of way, wrap this up in a bow for us about what you learned the the past 14 years uh, together and in facing these struggles together. What are some of the takeaway lessons that you've had during this time together?
1: I think a lot of it has to go to what Becky said of uh, the guilt that she felt that this was her fault. She couldn't um, she wasn't able to to make me happy, so to speak. And so the communication, I think, would sometimes go one way, um, either from me to her or her to me, whereas it should be going both ways. And so, you know, I'm I say to her, I'm dealing with this or this is what I'm feeling today. And then she's internalizing it and, and thinking, oh, dear, well, you know, maybe he doesn't love me and or maybe I'm not a good wife or whatnot. Um, and really just talking about that and you know, recognizing that it's okay to, to be vulnerable and it's okay to talk to each other. And that's really the only way that you're going to be able to make it work. So many marriages of, of individuals with mental illness and so many marriages of physicians as they go through training, uh, end in divorce. And there's just not that full communication or that full, um, acceptance and, feeling okay about being vulnerable with one another
0: Hmm. and what about you becky um i think you know we've all along
2: through our marriage we've really tried to take time to make a time and space for us to just have time with each other and especially um for for those who have children i think that time away from your children as a couple is so important but i think um You know, as we do that, it kind of helps us to reconnect and it makes a less stressful environment where some of that anxiety can be tabled for a little while and we can give ourselves time to communicate. Um, But I think important in every relationship, regardless of whether there are mental health issues, I think just really being open and communicating what you need and what you want and what things you're struggling with with each other. I think so many times we just want to have the other person kind of figure it out mm-hmm. <laughs> or guess. And, you know, that just isn't fair and it's not realistic. I think that being very open and communicating and, and seeing what you mean is really what helps any marriage or any relationship be strong and be good and, you know, stand the test of time.
0: Well, you know, this interview, I I have so many other questions. I'm like, we should have you on for another, like a (laughs) follow-up with all my other follow-up questions I have for you both. Thank you. You're both so, so good at speaking on this important topic. And thank you for coming on the show tonight. Sure, thank you. Yeah,
1: it was our pleasure.
0: I'm so grateful for you, Kyle and Becky. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for your incredible insight. If you want to see more from Kyle, including his website and the article that he referenced, I've included those links in the show notes. You can direct message me and let me know what you learned from this episode, or you can use the hashtag AboutProgressPodcast. I'd love to hear from you. Let's turn to my Do Something highlight for today. In case you forgot, this is short for Do Something That Scares You, a campaign I started to encourage people to try new things from big to small. There's more information on that in the show notes as well. Today's highlight comes from listener Keeks Clark 12 on Instagram. I highlighted her in the past, but I saw that she made it to the top of the Mount Washington Summit and in the middle of the snow, no less. I love that too much to not highlight it. So way to go. If you would like to share your own do something or highlight someone else that you know or even nominate um, someone that you know to be interviewed on the show that you think would be a great fit, please contact me. I am using who you are nominating. So you can find my contact information in the show notes if that is of interest to you. Next week, I'll have a great interview for you. So we'll see you again next Wednesday. And until then, take care of yourself.